Hi friends, you're listening to the Eucharist Church Podcast, coming at you live from downtown Hamilton, Ontario. We are currently meeting on Zoom during this season, and so we invite you to join us on Wednesday nights. We meet from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock, and then following our liturgy, we have a half an hour where people are welcome to join breakout groups, either with the same people every week, if you want to build some relationships, or just in a group for whoever's there for one night. We also have a children's program that runs on Sunday mornings, as well as a community check-in. And so you can go and find all of that information at eucharistchurch.ca, as well as figure out what we are going to be doing as we hopefully start to emerge out of this pandemic over the next few months. But for now, let's jump into the sermon podcast. Gospel according to John chapter 21. Thereafter... Jesus again manifested himself to the disciples on the Sea of Tiberias, and this was the manner in which he manifested himself. Simon Peter and Thomas, which means twin, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter says to them, I am going to fish. They say to him, We are coming with you as well. They went out and embarked in the boat, and they caught nothing during the night. But now, as it was becoming early morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus says to them, Little children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No! So he said to them, Cast the net out on the starboard side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it out, and they were no longer able to haul it in on account of the great number of fish. Hence that disciple whom Jesus loved says to Peter, It is the Lord! So Simon Peter, hearing that it is the Lord, tied his coat round his waist, for he was undressed, and flung himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the small boat, for they were not far from land, but about two hundred cubits away, hauling along the net full of fish. When therefore they had disembarked onto land, they see a charcoal fire laid out, and a fish lying on it, as well as a loaf of bread. Jesus says to them, Bring some of that fish that you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged along the net full of a great many fish, 153. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus says to them, come, break your fast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing it is the Lord. Jesus comes and takes the bread and gives it to them and likewise the fish. Now this was the third time that Jesus was manifested to his disciples as having been raised from the dead. When therefore they had breakfasted, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He says to him, yes, you know that I love you. He says to him, feed my little lambs. A second time, he again says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
he says to him, Shepherd my flocks. The third time, he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you cherish me? Peter was aggrieved that this was the third time he had said, Do you cherish me? And he told him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I cherish you. Jesus says to him, Feed my flocks. Amen, amen. I tell you, when you were younger, you tied your clothes about yourself and went walking about wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie your clothes about you and will take you where you do not wish. And he said this signifying by what death he will give glory to God. And saying this, he tells him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I love this text. I love this story. I have always loved this biblical story. I love the way that it wraps up the whole Gospel of John. I love how Jesus is a trickster. Like he shows up in the morning and makes them yell across the water that they haven't caught any fish all night. I think that's funny. Uh, <laughs> I like that Jesus has this beautiful repetitive line. You know, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you cherish me? And I love that it all leads up to this cryptic line from Christ. This cryptic line where Jesus says, when you were younger, you tied your clothes about yourself and went walking wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie your clothes about you and will take you where you do not wish. That sentence uh, surfaces, I think, a lot of anxiety for some people. This is something I found again and again as a pastor that when you meet with people, they often have this feeling, this hesitation to follow Jesus, to really, you know, be all in on this Christian path because they feel at some level, somewhere deep, they feel that if they decide to follow Jesus, something bad is going to happen to them. I don't know if any of you can relate to this at all, but I've heard this enough to know that this is not just one or two people. That feeling of, if I follow Jesus, he's going to make me move somewhere far away. He's going to make me, like, marry somebody I hate. He just Jesus is going to give me all sorts of horrible things because verses like this say that if I follow Jesus, he's going to take me places I don't want to go. Jill had actually such a great, when we first met, Jill told me this story about this impulse in her, which was ironic because she had finally become a pastor after a long life of uh, not wanting to go down that road. And I just thought, oh, Jill, since we're on Zoom, can you just unmute and tell us about your experience in church as a kid around this? And I just want to say, before I say this, I, I've told the story before, and I want you to know that I think that Jesse Hickey uh, was an incredible godly woman who devoted her entire life to her uh, her love of God. And she traveled far and she lived a life that would have been really hard for me, I think. But I have come as an adult to really respect her. And so even as I tell the story, I really want to say I don't... Um, I don't want to disrespect her and I don't want to disrespect her memory, but I grew up in a church where Jesse was a, a missionary in my church and she, 
and I was a child, although I, I, I wanted when I told it, tell the story to tell you I was like seven, but really probably I maintained this up through my teens. And she, she was a woman who had always been on the mission field. She was kind of a quirky woman. She had kind of a funny eye and a kind of a, a limp and she had some physical stuff that she struggled with. And, um, and she spent her entire life working on some foreign mission field and, and was separated from her family and was on her own and was single. And I used to just think, God, don't make me be Jesse. <laughs> don't, don't make me do that. And I, and I worried always that if I actually ever opened up my heart fully and opened all the possibilities that somehow God was going to put me into this place that just didn't, that just felt terrible. And I actually think, as I was thinking about this today, because Kev said I was going to, I actually think she worked, she lived and worked and ministered in some country where like martyrdom was big. And I always thought she was going to be martyred. And I, and I worried as a kid that I was going to be martyred and that martyrdom was my, if I followed Jesus, martyrdom was my course. And yeah, so that's, that's my Jesse story. So Jill and I have had for, for years now, every now and then when we think like, oh, he's going to make us do something, we go, oh, like he's going to make us be Jesse Hickey. And <laughs> isn't like, and you know, she might have lived an incredibly satisfying life, but from the outside, it just looked terrifying. And I feel like that's often how we read these stories. We read things that Jesus says, and we feel like, oh man, if we follow Jesus, we're going to have to go where we don't want to go. But all of that just to say that Jesus never actually says that in this text. He doesn't say, if you follow me when you are old, you will go where you don't want to go. He just says, you will go where you don't want to go. So I've been struck that maybe these scriptures, these texts, aren't necessarily cause and effect. That they may not be about punishment. They may not be about God's intervention at all. They may not even be statements about what is good and what is bad. But what if this statement is just a statement of reality? This is just how the world works. We've seen this two other times in the last couple of weeks in the Gospel of John. That statement from the parable of the Minas. Those who have, more will be given. Those who do not have, even what they have will be taken away. Which Christians have read as, why would God do that? Maybe God isn't doing that. Maybe that's just what happens. Have you ever looked at the free market? Those who have get more. Those who have not, even what they have is taken away. Or the Gospel of Thomas, or sorry, the, the story of Thomas, not the Gospel of Thomas. The story of Thomas last week, where Jesus says, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. And we think that this is Jesus's rebuke or Jesus's, you know, it, what if he's just saying this is how it works? You are blessed because you see, but you'll be even more blissful if you can believe what you haven't seen. What if these kind of statements in the Gospels aren't always, um, what if the gospel, these statements in the Gospels are revelations, not of what God does, but of how reality works? What if Christ, having mined the fullness of humanity and the fullness of death and resurrection, has uncovered mysteries, insights about how this world works? Because in my, albeit limited aging experience, I have experienced this to be true. That all of us, whatever your economic situation, your social situation, and whatever your religious beliefs, all of us, 
will eventually be led where we would not choose to go. Did any of you plan this pandemic we're in? <laughs> Anybody? Do you dress yourself one morning and decide, you know what, I'm sick of hugs, I wanna see no one I love for a year. Anybody plan this? Let's do a quick hands up. Who's faced some disappointment in their life because of this pandemic? Just throw it up there. <laughs> Perfect. Anybody here being depressed, anxiety issues? Anybody else had at least one good nervous breakdown, if not two or three? Uh, yeah. You know who's not freaked out by this pandemic? My kids. They're four and one, and they really don't like get it, get it. They wake up in the morning, they get dressed, they dress themselves. Well, Oscar doesn't, he's one, but Clem dresses herself. She makes plans. We're gonna go to the park, we're gonna call a friend. When you're young, you don't really know enough to know that you don't know where you're going, right? It's a certain amount of ignorance that comes with that age and that stage. Or you try to take control of the direction of things. But if there's one thing I've learned over the last decade, it's that life is impossible. Life is impossible. And you're going to be continually led into places that you would not have chosen. Your body's gonna get sore and money's gonna get tight and friends are gonna move away and social circles are gonna change. And you're going to experience divorce or get a tragic diagnosis or walk through sickness and doubt you're going to have a mental health crisis. You're going to read the news and realize how much of the world feels like it's just, you know, balance on the edge of a knife. And when you're young, when you're a kid, a teen, even into your early 20s, you still think you know where things are going. Good things happen and you assume that then good things are going to keep happening. And that's not a bad thing. That's an important part of development in life. But Peter needs to know what Christ is going to give him here. He needs to know that when you get older, someone else is going to dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And there's no way to avoid it. And there's no way to sidestep the tragedy of life. And so Jesus gives him a powerful revelation. He tells him that it's going to happen. Peter might be an extreme case of this because ultimately Peter is crucified just as Jesus was. But in his life, there's a universal pattern for all of us to observe and to follow. That whatever the particulars of your life, all of us will be led to places we didn't choose. And in my experience, when we are led into places we didn't choose, that's when the reptile brain kicks in. That immediate response, that reaction to control things, to make things work, to escape the suffering classically broken down into two immediately, uh, immediate responses to the tragedy of life, the fight impulse and the flight impulse. When we fight the tragedy of life, we're usually trying to overcome that pain by working harder, by asserting ourselves, by stepping on others, even by compromising our values if need be, whatever it takes to avoid the inevitable suffering of existence, of being taken where you would not choose to go. The other option is that we run. We press reset on our life. 
We find a new house, we buy a new car, we get a new spouse, a new job. We assume that if we unplug our life and plug it back in later, it's all just gonna fix itself. But of course, it doesn't. It doesn't. And the shadow of death continues to march towards us no matter where we go or who we pretend we are. So these two paths, fight and flight, always fail us. And I love this. This week I noticed that we see this in Peter's life. Think about when Peter is being, uh, is with Jesus as Jesus is being arrested. What does Peter do first? Fight impulse. Pulls out a sword, chops off somebody's ear. That's what we do when suffering and tragedy comes to us and we want to seize it and fix it and make it okay. We pull out a sword and we usually end up chopping off somebody's ear. He only causes more harm in wanting to avoid pain. And also, I love this detail so much, Jill told me I had to cut it, but eh, sorry, Jill. That who, who does he harm when he pulls up the sword and swings? He doesn't hurt like a Roman centurion or the high priest that's arresting him. It says he cuts off the ear of the high priest's slave. The slave doesn't want to be there. He's not personally invested in Jesus's arrest. But in a world of powers and principalities, where normal, ordinary people are bought and sold and dragged into conflicts that they did not begin. When we get afraid and pull out a weapon, we almost always hurt someone who's also stuck in the situation. That's what happens when we try to avoid suffering by abusing our power. We end up creating more harm in our fear. Instead of receiving the suffering of life, we put it onto somebody else. But Peter, how great is this? How, this must be in the Spirit's work. Peter also runs. He doesn't just fight, he flees. After Christ is arrested, Peter went to the courtyard of the high priest. And when he's there, a servant girl, a young maid servant, asks him if he knows Jesus. And three times he denies that he knows Jesus. And in that moment, he hears the cock crow. And in the Gospel of Luke says that at that moment, he ran away and wept bitterly. So we can fight against the tragedy of life, but that just perpetuates the same violence. And we can flee from the suffering of life, but that leaves us alone and despairing. So what is Jesus telling Peter to do? And through Peter, the beginning of the church, to us the church, what is Christ saying to us? Perhaps he's saying that there's only one way through the suffering of life. And that's to allow the suffering of life to dress you to allow the pain of life to take you by the hand and lead you where you would not choose to go. Not to fight it and not to run from it, but to allow it to carry you to all those places you would never have chosen. And what is it that Jesus tells Peter right after he shares that revelation? After saying this, he tells him, follow me. Follow me. Because Christ models perfectly the narrow path through suffering that leads to life. Jesus doesn't fight those who come to arrest him, nor does he call down the heavenly host to obliterate his enemies, though he could have. And Jesus doesn't run from suffering, trying to start over in a new city with a new job and a new identity, though he could have run off. Instead, Jesus grieves, and Jesus feels the despair fully. 
and Jesus prays and weeps until he bleeds. And Jesus trusts that in some strange way, all of this is necessary. As he says to Peter, when Peter chops off the ear of the slave of the high priest, should I not drink the cup that has been put before me? That cup that ultimately leads to insult, to isolation, to slander, to existential despair, and to the horrors of a death on a cross. And it is that same cup that leads then to the lie, the deception of death, that it's final. That leads to the liberation of humanity from the fear of death. That leads to the revelation that politics and religious power are impotent in their violence. The revelation that it is the place of shame that is the very same as the place of glory. It is in Christ's willingness to drink the cup that the victim is forever transformed into the victor that Christ stretched out his hands and others stripped him of his clothing and they twisted a crown of thorns and they beat it into his head and they took him where he did not want to go and that was the only way to lead humanity into resurrection. For Peter, it will be crucifixion. For Christ, it will be crucifixion. For you, I don't know what it will be. I really hope it's not crucifixion. But I am positive it will feel like that. There will be a moment that will be painful. There will be a time where it feels like the world is closing in on you. And you will feel yourself constricted. And you will feel misunderstood. And you will feel shamed. And you will feel humiliated. And you will feel weak and vulnerable. And you will want to curse your enemies. And you will want to beat those who beat you. And you will want to run away to false comforts. And you will want to flee everything you've ever known because everything you know about yourself feels like it is slipping away and it will not be a place you've chosen to go. And this is what I know for sure. This will happen if you are a Christian. And this will happen if you're not one. If you follow Christ, then there is something else I know for sure then I know there is more to the story and that there is a way through the darkness of the abyss. I know that you have a guide who has been in that darkness before and he knows what it feels like to suffer and he is with us, he is with you tonight in your suffering. And he went all the way down into the darkest abyss in order to defeat death from the inside, and I know that you can welcome the Spirit of Christ to live in you. This is true. This is real. You can invite the Spirit of Christ to dwell in you so that whatever happens, however you are dressed, wherever you are led in your body, a way through now lives within you. A way that leads to an empty grave 
an empty tomb that turns horrible wounds into glorious scars that leads to a charcoal fire on the beach where there is warm bread and grilled fish for all where the smell of salt water fills the air and the song of the birds mingles with the, with the laughter of the disciples who are slowly realizing that everything sad is coming untrue. A place where the slowly rising sun warms the sand and resurrection dawns.